Welcome to this episode of Take 15. I'm Lauren Foster, Content Director at CFA Institute, and joining me today is Erica James. Erica is Dean of the Gozueta Business School and Professor of Organization and Management. She's well known for her research in two areas, crisis leadership and workplace diversity. I'm delighted to have Dean James with me here today. Welcome, and thank you for being here. Thank you. So I'd like to start with uh, crisis management, and you've written that crises are inevitable and every organization will experience a crisis of some magnitude at some point. So with that in mind, uh, can leaders prepare for what seems like the inevitable? And what differentiates people who can lead during challenging times? Are there certain traits you've identified that sort of help those people survive? Well, to answer your first question, I think leaders can absolutely prepare to be effective leaders and managers in times of crisis. And I think it's a, mis a myth or a misnomer uh, to believe that that's not, in fact, possible. Uh, I will say that in the research that I've done over the years, what we've identified as some of the traits that help leaders really effectively handle crisis situations are, are three. One is the ability to uh, build significant relationships both within the organization and then, then also with relevant stakeholders outside of the organization. And the reason that's important is, you know, when a crisis happens, you need people there to have your back, essentially. And, and no manager or leader can handle something of significance like a crisis on his or her own. And so the more that they have relationships in place, the more they will have people there to help facilitate effective response. Um, another factor is the ability to really learn from previous crises, if one has had that opportunity, uh, and, and recognize the ways in which his or her own style or decisions or policies or practices within the organization have contributed, and what lessons can be learned to how to think differently about um, managing crises going forward. And then I would say the third thing is largely about um, thinking with a positive mindset because once you're in a threatening situation, there's a the tendency to think of it as a threat and that takes you down a decision-making path that's pretty narrow and limited in terms of the options. Whereas if you think about this as more of what opportunities can we experience from this admittedly negative situation, that opens the mindset up to a, a plethora of options for decision-making that would, one wouldn't ordinarily have access to. Okay. So here in the U.S., um, there have been numerous corporate crises. Uh, we can think of Enron, WorldCom, Tyco, BP Deepwater Horizon, that's just to name a few. Mm -hmm. So um, a two-part question on that. Um, have executives gotten any better at leading through crises? And how can leaders um, take the experience of a crisis and use it to take the organization to kind of the next level once the crisis finishes? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a, it, it's an interesting question in that uh, leaders who have experienced a crisis firsthand oftentimes then can use that experience for how they handle situations going forward. Um, it's not often the case, though, that someone has prior experience, so most leaders are learning from what they see uh, other leaders go through. And our 
some of our research shows, though, that unless you experience a crisis firsthand, there's still the mindset that this won't happen to me, and so although I'm paying attention to what other people do, I'm not preparing myself in ways that might be necessary to, to leave my organization if and when that happens to our organization. So ways that leaders can prepare is actually being really mindful of seeing other organizations and leaders go through those negative experiences and then making connections to say where are our vulnerable areas, uh, what would we do in this kind of situation and to start dialogue within the organization for what a response might look like. Okay. So I guess based on your research and the number of years that you've been doing this, um, is there an executive and or a sort of a situation that sort of stands out in your mind um, that was either a, a, sort of a gross example of mismanagement um, or an outstanding leadership? And um, what were the lessons uh, you sort of took away from those situations? Well, I think we can all identify gross examples of mismanagement. I mean, that's the, the, the media feeds on on those examples. So um, several come to mind. Some of the more recent ones would be, you know, what's happening in the professional sports arena. If you think about the domestic abuse allegations with the NFL and Roger Goodell is the commissioner of the NFL and some of the challenges that he was facing. Um, and I think it was pretty widely agreed to that his early response was not necessarily the most effective, and I think it continued to put more and more challenge on the NFL as a, as a body, as a unit. Um, an example, examples of effective crisis leadership are a bit more difficult to come by precisely because uh, when they are handled well, they don't get the attention in the media, so we don't necessarily have information or access to them. But I, I will share just one example, which was um, a leader of a, the Baltimore and Ohio Railroad Museum in Baltimore in 2003. The museum had, a, there was a significant snowstorm that caused the roof to collapse and damage millions of dollars worth of borrowed train artifacts. And, um, and that leader basically told his people, tear up your job descriptions. What you were hired to do is no longer relevant, and if you want to be a part of creating this new museum, we need to think and act differently. And that galvanized people in ways to really support uh, a new vision for the museum. Okay, so switching tacks a, a little bit, um, when you were at Darden, uh, you introduced the Women's Leadership Program, and you've also done a lot of work um, on research on workplace diversity. Um, and here at CFA Institute, we're thinking a lot about um, the competitive advantage of diversity. So in your opinion, uh, what is the business case for diversity in investment management and the broader financial industry? Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think the business case is pretty much the same for most organizations in most industries. And I'll borrow some language uh, from a friend who is actually in the financial services industry, Carla Harris with Morgan Stanley, who has essentially spoken about the notion around innovation. And in the financial services field, in order to continue to be innovative and therefore competitive, uh, you have to draw on a variety of perspectives and experiences and insights and people of diverse backgrounds to bring those things to, for, to the fore. Relying strictly on a narrow set of um, people or a group with a certain demographic characteristics doesn't allow you to have access to the same level of innovation that's necessary to, to be competitive. So I think that's probably one of the strongest business cases for, for diversity. Um, I've heard you say that when we talk about diversity, um, there are key performance results that the organization is striving to achieve, and that there are three factors mm -hmm. um, that lead to these results. Mm -hmm. um, context, leadership, 
and systems. Yes. Um, can you tell us a bit more about those three factors mm -hmm. um, and why it's so important that there is alignment across those three? Sure. So every organization is trying to achieve some set of results, whether it's customer satisfaction, increased profits, you name it. Um, and the tendency is to believe that there is one pathway to achieving those results. Oftentimes that pathway might lie with the nature of the leader, him or herself. Uh, what we believe is more indicative of, of success for an organization is that there is a sense of the context or the environment that the organization is operating in, that there is a set of, of very identifiable leadership values that are communicated throughout the organization, and that there are policies and practices or systems that exist within the organization. And when all three of those factors work together, you're more likely to create a culture towards high performance. So it's really the, the culture aspect that drives the behaviors that lead the performance, not necessarily any one leadership leader, him or herself, or any one particular background factor. Okay, Dean James, those are great insights. Thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for watching. Copyright 2015 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.